0: Good morning hey this is Jimmy Williams with live a life by design your Monday morning moments of motivation to help you start your week off on the best foot possible I am excited today to share a few moments with a dear friend of mine that is an exceptional leader among women in the profession of corporate and financial planning she has been a stalwart leader in the field of financial planning and wealth management and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in just a moment, but let me tell you the company that she leads. It's an outstanding company. The name is Cambridge Investment Research. Cambridge is an independent, privately controlled broker-dealer with over $100 billion under management, more than 800 home office associates, and over 3,300 independent registered representatives serving hundreds of thousands of investing clients across the United States. As an industry leader, Cambridge strives to create a workplace that reflects four core values, integrity, commitment, flexibility, and kindness, while fostering an atmosphere that allows our associates to thrive and enjoy mutual success. Cambridge has been honored as Broker Dealer of the Year for 2019 through 2012 again in 2010, 2008, 2007, and 2003 by Investment Advisor Magazine, and was ranked fifth in the 2018 Financial Planning 50 Independent Broker-Dealer Revenue Growth by Financial Planner Magazine. Cambridge is also among the top 20 large companies in Iowa to be honored by the Des Moines Register as a top workplace for 2019 and is one of only six companies consecutively ranked among the top workplaces since the ranking began in 2011. Wow, I got to tell you, you're getting ready to experience a wonderful, wonderful podcast episode. Amy is not only the leader, she's the CEO and reflects the heart and soul of this organization. Let me tell you, you don't get to be the 12-time Investment Advisor Magazine Broker Dealer of the Year by not providing great culture, great training, great opportunities for your team. So at that point, I would tell you she probably knows what she's doing. So let's pick her brain just a little bit. I hope you follow closely with me. We're going to talk about her leadership style as a woman in a corporate industry as well as her legacy and what she would like to see happen during her term as the leader of this great organization. So I'm gonna ask to join with me now, Amy Weber. So man, what a pleasure it is to have with me today, Amy Weber. She's a member of the board of directors, the CEO and president of Cambridge Investment Research. With over 25 years of experience, Amy's commitment to independent advisors is demonstrated in her passion for delivering high-level, personal service, and leading management solutions. Amy's personal interest lies with continually refining the independent broker-dealer model to best support the next generation of independent advisors, including creative, innovative programs such as the Cambridge Source Outsourcing Program and the Cambridge Next Step Internship Program. She served as chair for the 2016 Financial Services Institute Board, an advocacy organization for independent broker-dealers and their affiliated independent financial advisors, and in 2017 was elected to serve on the FINRA Board of Governors. In 2015, Weber was recognized as a woman to watch by Investment News Magazine and was selected as a member of the IA25 by Investment Advisor Magazine in 2019 18, 17, 14, and 2012. Folks, I've got to tell you, she just doesn't sleep. This lady is nocturnal. She works all day. Amy, how are you?
1: I am fantastic, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. I'm very honored.
0: Man, I tell you, you think you're honored. This lady is so busy, folks. I booked this like a year ago. I mean, she is busy, and she took time to speak with me today. I am very, very flattered. So, Amy, tell me a little bit about yourself real quick. What's a short background maybe on your life as a child? How would we get to know Amy Weber?
1: So, Amy Weber was born Amy Timmerman, the oldest of three daughters to um, Dave and Kathy Timmerman in Wisconsin. We were, uh, I would suggest, even by today's definition, very much a blue-collar middle-class American family. Uh, Neither of my parents had actually gone to college. My father was um, and demonstrated throughout my life what a strong work ethic was. He um, did a few things before I can remember, I'm told, when I was just a baby. But um, for all of the life I remember, he was a welder at a John Deere facility in Dubuque, Iowa. And as the story goes, he only missed, in about 35 years of employment there, he missed two half days unplanned at his job, and that was to meet my mother at the hospital when she was giving birth to two out of three of her children. So, you can see uh, right there where um, some of the work ethic uh, that, that instilled in me came from. And my mother was a nurse's aide at the local clinic. We grew up in a small town of 2,000 people. Uh, and it was a huge family. I have actually uh, 30 two first cousins on one side and 29 on the other, something like that. I may have lost count, but it's in that ballpark. So I have a a large support group of first cousins across this country. Um, And we were a a very large family on both sides that spent a lot of time together growing up. So people have always been an important part of my life uh, as I was growing up.
0: I've got to tell you, Amy. You mirror my life a little bit. Uh, that's sixty-one people you're going to invite for Thanksgiving dinner. That's right. <laughs> that's a lot. Never
1: a dull moment.
0: Of, that's a lot of giblet gravy and turkey to pass around. But I got to tell you, the the likelihood of you continuing that work ethic was very high. It sounded like your dad and my dad had a lot in common. They, uh,
1: if 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 that's true, um, they definitely instilled. I used to say that I'm a Generation Xer with a baby boomer work mentality because of watching both my parents, but in particular my father. You know, back in those days, my mom um, also took on a lot of the caregiving role, and so she was home more frequently with us than he was. um, But he was definitely a hard worker.
0: I got to tell you, I had a theory that I've learned from my father of which I don't use on our team now at Compass Capital Management, but my dad's theory, being raised in rural America, dad owned a logistics company as well, so he was gone a lot. Mom did the same as your mother. She helped raise us six children, did most of probably the parenting. Dad did uh, most of the work on the outside of the home, of course, but I will tell you his theory, Amy, is one I don't adhere to anymore, but I started my career with this, that if you have time to breathe... You've got time to work.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. We'll talk a little bit here later, I think, about how perhaps it sounds like both of us took hopefully the benefits of what those fathers of ours instilled in us, but figured out that maybe life's too short to take it quite to the extent that they did,
0: right? I think you're right. I would like to say we got the best of both worlds, as you put it, because we get the best of the work ethic, but we also know when to turn it off and turn it on on the golf course. Is that right?
1: That's right. I'm not a golfer, but uh, and I am still learning. I think you might have a, a leg up on me in terms of the the pace with which you have figured all of that out, but I am I'm still learning some lessons as it relates to slowing down and turning off.
0: Well, I've got to tell you, so unlike your dad, though, I took more than a half day off when we had our two beautiful daughters. I don't know if you took any time off. You probably had your children and went back to work because I know you're a hard worker. Is that the way it went? I
1: did, um, <laughs> though, you know, the, the, the uh, I, I took a little time off because being a first-time mom creates a slight bit of anxiety, uh, but about four weeks, uh, technically, I was back uh, online, if you will, sooner than that, but uh, four weeks with my first, and I even managed to go eight weeks with the second, but that was here while I was working with Cambridge. And um, I did come in a few times to help do uh, home office visits and meet with some of our advisors. So you do what you have to do.
0: You know, I'll never forget my mom's statement. She said they put wheels on the baby stroller for a reason. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you understand what that <laughs> That's means. That's great. Yeah. Hey, let's talk a little bit. How, how did you determine, starting out from Wisconsin, great work ethic. Dad was a welder. As you said yourself, a blue-collar family. I, too, came from a... A very dark blue uh, collar family, just knowing hard work. How how did you determine you wanted to be involved in this crazy world we call financial services or broker dealers?
1: You know, the fascinating thing I've learned over the years when I'm asked this question is that, I'm not unlike almost every woman I, in particular, and many and, and perhaps many males, but it's certainly much more prevalent with females. Um, it, I would call it an accidental gift. Um, I stumbled into this career. I said earlier, I grew up in a town of 2000 people and, uh, I'm embarrassed to say sometimes that that was before the internet. So you only knew what you could rely on your local, uh, adults in your, in your area, in your life, as far as career options go and, and what's presented for the most part, uh, in schools and and that kind of thing, and I, my mom will tell the story that I was a, a feisty, fierce, adamantly um, stating on a regular basis that I was not going to live in the small town of Cuba City, Wisconsin, when I grew up. That I was going to go on to become a corporate attorney and move to New York City and make lots of money. And so I. Um, I opted to go to Madison Business College. Madison, Wisconsin was about 90 miles away from my hometown. It was the closest, quote, unquote, larger city. And um, I was fortunate enough to find a school that did what was called work study. So I went to classes in the morning from 9, 8 to 12, I guess. And then I had an hour for lunch and to get over to the job that they assigned me when I arrived. And the piece of paper that they handed me back then was a small independent broker dealer on the other side of town called Coordinated Capital Securities. It was owned by a it was a mom and pop shop, as they say, about uh, 100 advisors at the time. I did not know what a broker, I was 18 years old, so I did not know what a broker dealer was. Uh, I categorized it as financial services. That's what it was written on the paper they handed me, and I was devastated, in all honesty, at first. Because I am a people person and an extrovert, and financial services didn't sound very sexy. It, um, it, in my own mind, it was accounting and math, and while I am very good at math, it is not what I wanted to do with my life. I ha- could come up with probably a hundred different careers or tasks that I would do on a daily basis before sitting down with green ledger paper and, and working with numbers, but... You do what you're asked to do when you're in that situation. Uh, that was September of 1987. And in October of 1987, as you know, Jimmy, the world went a little crazy. Now, we've experienced men much worse from a market uh, stability perspective. But uh, Black Friday in October of 1987 was very devastating, maybe maybe the worst. You could argue that um, since the Depression. And again, 18 years old. No technology, advisors calling us, and and we would then call the clearing firms to try to facilitate trades and act as a psychologist, which as, as an 18-year-old with no experience I had no business doing, but again, you do what you have to do, phone in each ear, uh, working as hard as we can to try to facilitate for our advisors who were also facilitating for their clients, making the best moves possible. And while that was a, 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 the following week uh, overwhelming in many ways for me, what I realized, and that was within about 45 days of starting this job, was that this particular strand of financial services really had little to do with math and accounting. It had to do with real humans. It had to do with people. It had to do with emotions. It had to do with helping people. And I gained a really quick respect for what financial advisors do um, and fell in love with it. So long story short, I worked uh, for them for about a year and finished up that cycle. I had determined at that point that I was actually going to change directions and go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison for finance. But I had to go to my boss um, and sit down with her and say, you know, good news and bad news. You've truly given me the gift of helping me figure out what I think I want to do with my life, but that's going to require me to change direction here a little bit, and I'm pretty sure I'll have classes on campus at this particular educational institution in the afternoons. So I won't be able to work from 1 to 5 for you every day, and, and unfortunately, effectively, I was offering my resignation.
0: You know, you... Pretty quickly. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, you, you know, you are so parallel to what I did in my career. However, you were in the university in 87. I just graduated in May uh, with honors, if I may. I don't want to brag or anything, but I got, graduated with honors in May. And then I went to work that summer, and the whole marketplace, when she says, folks, a little something bad happened, this was almost traumatizing to a lot of people that happened in 1987. The world literally fell apart in their eyes. So, so uh, you know, I can tell you, Amy. You and I share uncannily a lot of historic time zones together in how we were raised as well as educated. So, please continue with your your comments. So now you're you're at the University of Wisconsin Madison.
1: I actually didn't do it. So there's a little oh. another there's another plot twist to this. Um, my uh, first, just let me say, Jimmy, that um, I. I'm loving learning a little bit about you today, and you're just confirming for me what I fiercely believe, which is that um, in our in life's journey, people are put into our lives for a specific reason. And very often, I find, even though I don't know it for many, many years after meeting someone, that there is some synergy. Um, in terms of uh, the life's journey and the core values. So it's interesting to learn uh, our parallels. Thank you for sharing that. So I didn't didn't go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison because my boss said, oh, no, no, you don't have to resign. Here's what we do here. Um, And she had done this with two other young women. She uh, offered me a full-time position Making $15,000 a year, which was a lot of money in 1988 at this point in time for a 19 year old. But I had to work from 8 to 5. And then what she did is she offered to pay for my education as long as I went to night school. So, again, I said I was the oldest of three in a blue-collar family, and I'm going to be candid. As a 19-year-old, the idea that I would work from eight, even with my dad's work ethic instilled deeply in me, the idea of working from eight to five... And then going to school from 5.30 to 9 with 40-year-olds, which today sounds like babies, but then sounded like uh, they were really old. <laughs> and getting my securities licenses on the weekends did not sound like all that much 19-year-old fun. So what are you saying, Amy? Uh, you didn't
0: have a social life after all that time? Did you waste I like... did not. <laughs> <laughs> did you waste a couple hours sleeping what? or something? <laughs>
1: Well, I guess you said that I, uh, I don't need a lot of sleep, so that helped me back then and continues to help me now, I guess. Um, so I took it, you know, I, I thought about it. I have to admit I'm a human. Uh, I was a normal 19 year old who didn't know anything about anything and, and maybe had my priorities for a blip, uh, misaligned as I thought this would be crazy. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but, um, of course I did it. Uh, and, uh, That in and of itself allowed me at a much younger age than many to step into leadership roles uh, both here and and other places. So I'd say sometimes uh, taking that risk, uh, doing something that maybe on the surface doesn't sound like it might be the most fun, can really turn out to be a you know a, a wonderful experience, and that's how it that's how it happened for me. I did that. I took I, I worked with them for seven years in that in that way. Um, went finished my finance degree in, in finance in the evenings, and uh, I will tell you my. Work experience is what got me my 4.0, not the other way around. So I'm a huge advocate uh, for our young people here about the value of internships and on-the-job training and you know, learning and working in a, in a work environment at a young age for all those reasons.
0: You know let's, say, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, absolutely internships, I believe in this day and age, are really a necessity of education, not an elective. Uh, talk a little bit about Cambridge's approach to internships that came out under your leadership.
1: So about seven years ago, we started uh, what we call the Next Step program. And the idea was, selfishly, we would love to find some of the best and brightest out there. That could come and work for us and an intern paid internship for the summer. We were real adamant. Um, I know that certain industries have a lot of effective use of unpaid internships, but in our world, if we wanted to get the best and brightest in, we uh, we felt it was important that we needed to develop a paid internship program. And we bring them in and we give them some lofty assignments, they help with some. You know, one example for me personally that I'll never forget is a a young lady who created an app uh, while she was here on her internship program to help us manage the acronyms in our business, and I was so blown away. Um, It was so helpful. It was her idea. She was was proactive about it, so it's those kinds of things that they can do and explore, and we want to give them the best experience possible so that when they graduate, they consider coming back and working for us. A side benefit in in many cases is that we inspire them to become financial advisors. So while they may not immediately be contributing to the Cambridge family, they're contributing to this fantastic industry that you and I have uh, grown up in and and love so fiercely. and, And giving back to the industry is as important as potentially inspiring them to come work with us. We have about a 40% uh, return rate, so 40% of them do come back and work for us multiple years for their internship and then back as a full-time employee. And several of them did go out into our advisor's offices and start their careers. So it's a win. It's been a great success. I'll never forget the first day that I Uh, Pulled in to the parking lot, and this it wasn't a business dress day here. We are casual when we don't have visitors coming, but this little car pulled in, and all four doors opened up, and these four young men stepped out of that car in their black suits and their black sunglasses. I um, thought back to, you know, um, a couple of movies where uh, <laughs> I, I had seen something similar and thought, what is happening? The men in black have arrived <laughs> and uh, they came into this building and took took it by fire for that summer. Uh, they were respectful and bright, and I think my personal opinion as millennials Tend to get uh, over stereotyped and largely a bad rap because we've seen nothing but amazing millennials here who are giving me great hope for the future of this world, and um, it's been—it's just been a great experience all around. It's almost reverse mentoring. If you stop and listen to those young people um, that are in your life, because they can give you as many gifts as you can give them. And that's that's the lesson we've learned over the last seven or eight years.
0: You know, you said something about this career being uh, not as, quote, sexy, you know, as, as maybe something that you could have done otherwise. I've got to tell you, I don't know if this qualifies as, quote, sexy, but I get the most joy in my profession as being a certified financial planner practitioner and an advisor that helps people realize their dreams and goals in real time. It is amazing the transformation. When they come in our office, they go through what we call our five-step life plan solution process, and they take control now, Amy, of their, their futures as opposed to being just basically whatever comes may come, if you remember the old Doris Day song. And so we believe that that is, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe that's sexy to us. What do you think?
1: I absolutely agree. And uh, in addition to a passion for inspiring younger individuals to consider our business, uh, the same holds true for female advisors uh, in particular, and I'm biased Of course, um, admittedly, because this is what I've spent 32 years of my life supporting, serving those who serve others, to your point. But it's got to be one of the most rewarding and flexible careers. And both females in today's world who are trying to figure out how to, quote, unquote, have it all, balance a lot of other um, you know, goals and, and desires that they want to do with their lives in addition to a career. And I think young people are the same, right? They've, they're growing up in a world where uh, it isn't like you and I did, where perhaps at the beginning of our careers it was all about butts in the seats and 60, 70-hour work weeks to prove yourself. They're looking for flexibility um, and a place where they can make a difference. And I personally can't think of another career, in my biased opinion, that gives Many individuals, second career across the board and, and new entrants, uh, the opportunity to really build their own destiny and uh, they align with the right partners as they're building. It can really, um, it has to. I am so inspired by simply serving individuals such as yourself who have the iron stomach to go out and really serve and, and, and make a difference in the lives of those direct investors that um, we just don't always do a great job of somehow getting that message out. And uh, we just got to keep up the good fight.
0: Well, for, for all of our thousands of listeners, I want to tell you, Amy, you and the entire team at Cambridge have been tremendous business partners of ours. i uh, been there now over 10 years, folks. And i got to tell you, from the transition team, the first day I walked in the new building that was constructed in a small community of Fairfield, Iowa. I'll be very honest with you, Amy, when... I was picked up by Kurt at the airport in Des Moines, and he said it's just a little bit south of the airport. I didn't know his definition of little bit, and mine were that different.
1: (laughs) Two and a half hours? Is that short for you? (laughs) Two
0: two, two and a half hours later, I really thought, where are we going to stop? Are we going back maybe to Oklahoma? Is that what we're doing? No, on a truthful (laughs) note, the culture and the team is so reflective at Cambridge as to what we do in our own offices at Compass Capital Management. It is just a great fit, and thank you for your kind words. But i got to tell you something, Amy. You are, and you don't even know it, but you're a mentor to me and to a lot of my team, particularly the young professional ladies on our team. They see you at these conferences. Amy, if you've never been to one of our conferences of Ignite, which is our annual leadership conference and educational conference, this thing, we just came back from it. Our team is on a natural high, and I had to plug that because we were in Denver. Uh, but it's a natural high. <laughs> the only high we got, by the way, was the the, the, the <laughs> good disclosure. Good disclosure, in case anybody regulators are listening. We we basically only got high as one mile because that's the the elevation. But anyway, tell me this: who so so who are your mentors besides uh, a dear dear friend and the founder of of Cambridge to to me had been a great great leader Eric Schwartz. But but who's that besides him, or maybe even talk a little bit about him as a mentor to you?
1: You know, I have been blessed uh, in my life. I've I've worked for three bosses and um, I, I've done a lot of studying and and, um, thoughtful contemplation around the topic of the differences uh, and roles that a boss plays versus a mentor versus a sponsor and just people in your life. As I said earlier, that um, maybe touch your life for long term or short term in one way or another, but that somehow um, they personally affect you. And then lastly, those who you should admire you know you admire from afar. And I, try, I I've worked really hard in all of those aspects to try to take key, Pieces of information and, and lessons learned from the, from that vast majority, and for me, um, in, in particular, you know they they'll tell you best practices are that your boss is different than your mentor is different than your sponsor. And I'll define quickly: boss is pretty clear, right? We all know what a boss is, and they can be fabulous people, but they're often not the best mentors for someone, or at least the, the only mentor as they're building a career. Because you've got to be able to feel very comfortable bearing your soul and being vulnerable when you're talking to a mentor if you really want it to make an, uh, an impact on your life and on your career. And even the best bosses, there's a little tiny bit of doubt in the back of most people's minds when they say, if I offer and show my vulnerability to my boss, is that going to show up next week, next month, next year, somehow from a performance perspective, from, from what they think of me uh, on a business perspective. So if you can find a mentor that doesn't have control over your career, um, it, it often can be productive. And then the definition of a sponsor is someone entirely different who can sometimes act like a mentor, but their sole goal is to talk with you about how they can support getting you more exposure and develop, if I'm at a certain place in my career and I wanna go three steps beyond that, the sponsor's goal is to just offer advice only about how to get there. Mentors can you know, be much broader than that. And so, again, the recommendation might be that you have a boss and then a separate mentor and then a separate sponsor. I've been blessed in my life to have three bosses who have served all three roles for me in different ways. And Eric, by far, we've worked together now for 21 of my 32 years, um, has been, you know, one of those, uh, sounds a little hokey, but, um, I, people often talk about, um, uh, the synergy that you can develop with uh, a certain individual, they'll use the term soulmate, and normally soulmate comes into play on a personal relationship level when someone's talking about it, but I will say I've been, I've been blessed to have my personal soulmate and my fantastically wonderful husband who supported me for, uh, we're about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary, um, and then my professional soulmate and Eric. Um, but aside from that, again, taking a little bit of uh, all of the gifts that all of the people that have entered my life uh, in terms of career development and almost more so personal growth. Because I think the more that you can invest, and this, wasn't, this was something I had to learn, the more you can invest in developing yourself as a person that affects your entire life, the better off and the faster your career is going to go, in my opinion.
0: That makes perfect sense. So, hey, let's dive in under the covers a little bit here uh, between our professional lives. And I just got to know, what's that one special fact about Eric Schwartz that maybe our listeners don't know, maybe even some of our team members don't know at Cambridge, uh, at its offices, either in Fairfield or Atlanta or wherever they may be? Tell me that one fact. And nothing embarrassing, of course, just that one fact that we wouldn't know about Eric.
1: Yeah, Eric has an uncanny ability to connect with people um, one-on-one in particular, and and this is why it's a fun fact. You may not feel that if you're in a larger group or when he's on stage, Um, but he connects with people in terms of helping you uh, figure out that life is too short, and you should be happy, and you need life balance. When I started working with Eric, you know, most bosses running a company, I mean, he definitely had expectations for me when I started with him uh, from a professional basis on where I was going to help him take his company, but I was 28 years old, and by the time I was 28, I had uh, ulcers and migraines, and I was working a lot of hours. That's how I grew up. That's how I was uh, coached in the previous lives that you know that's that's what you did, and that's how you went far and you had to prove yourself. And uh, Eric quickly, um, and I think uniquely as an entrepreneur and a business leader, said, "You're not going to be any good to your children, your husband. Or our company, if you're dead by the time you're forty, <laughs> that's and at the rate you're advice. going, <laughs> yes, at the rate you're going, you might be having some troubles. You really need to find some life balance. And I just don't know how many bosses back then. I think is more pre- prevalent now, thank goodness. But back then, um, cared to take that position because that's almost telling me to work less, right? Um, and the more I work in many ways, the more uh, I would have been beneficial to him. But uniquely, the wisdom says, and I've, I've learned to accept this as truth at this point, um, is that if you have life balance, if you focus on a purposeful journey every day in your life in terms of what you're going to accomplish, and make sure that you include. Um, some rest and relaxation or meditation or your hobby or your family or other priorities instead of just work, 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 that you are actually more effective and productive in your day. And um, I just, I, I suspect from the outside, and you could tell me better than, than I maybe because I am an insider, that people may not realize that about him. He, um, he has been so successful. Uh, that I think they probably assume that he is a driver. And he is in many ways, but there's this this peace that he brings to the table that allows others to be all they can be.
0: You actually, uh, un- again, uniquely hit on the role that I feel. Uh, the main thing with Eric and me, again, I've been there only 10 years, uh, but, you know, 10 years flies, and he has never failed to come up, recognize me by name, even if I'm at one of the Ignite conferences or any other conference, and I'm not wearing my badge shakes my hand and just tells me how much he appreciates our partnership. Now, granted, I'm going to tell our listeners, this gentleman doesn't have to work another day in his life. He has worked so hard, done what he should have done, invested properly. You know, he doesn't have to come into the office. And as many times as those of us 3,300 plus business partners across this country have asked him, questions, he's so straightforward with them. He doesn't have to be, but he is. And I, as a business partner, love that, Amy. I like the fact that I don't have to guess what he's saying.
1: Transparency in life and business has served both of us well. And uh, we finish each other's sentences we have from day one. Uh, We're very aligned in the fact that we want to run a purposeful, purpose-driven organization. Our purpose is simple to make a positive difference in the lives of our advisors you your clients and the people that work here with us and support us and when you have that clarity around what you're trying to accomplish in terms of the purpose why we exist other questions that come up and other challenges that come up are uh, much more clear they're easy Um, and uh, the decisions are easy to make if you just sit down and and reflect back on what your purpose and your core values are. And and, um, the transparency is a big one. It's not specifically listed in our purpose statement or our core core values. It's simply a given that I think in business is rare. I think many times uh, successful business people are afraid to maybe offer the transparency because somebody may say, see a weakness or a chink in the armor and decide not to do business perhaps with that company. But, um, and that's a risk, but we've always, we are not here to grow for the sake of growing. Uh, we believe if we come in every day and do what's right for you, the advisors, and hopefully then inspire you to do what's right for the clients, that, it will be successful and it has worked for you know over 35 years for eric and certainly my 20 plus years here
0: well i have only one regret you know and the one thing that people that listen to live a life by design get from me and all of our guests is brutal honesty so i have a regret i don't have many in life but i do have a regret about cambridge and that one regret is i didn't find them out when i first started my career folks i'm telling you When I came to Cambridge and I met the people, the culture clicked from day one, just similar to what you said, Amy, about Eric and your personality, for example. I came to Cambridge and I thought to myself, after we got our business transaction put together, and I said, why didn't I start here? So my first 10 years of my career were with other businesses, and they were good for the time, but I wish that I had started with the open architecture, with the willingness to be kind and help get things done as you do with your team. So so let me ask you this, you are a very busy person and what, what are some of your daily routines? How do you maximize your efficiency and use of your time? Because there's only one Amy.
1: So this is the loaded question I spent some time reflecting on as, as you and I were talking uh, before this call about Uh, some things. And, you know, we all have our weaknesses, right? And in this case, for me, anyway, it is true that in so many ways, my greatest strength is also my weakness that I have to work on. And I am unfortunately not a role model in life balance yet. Uh, For, um, you know, 32 years, since I was 18 years old, we talked about how I grew up. Um, I've, I've used all of that to build this fantastic career and ran at breakneck speed and I didn't sleep a lot. And what that caused um, for me is I am, the reason I'm efficient, how I maximize my time is I am a master at multitasking. I focus on maximizing my time um, by putting in early on, by putting in a lot of hours and being constantly on. And it does take its toll um, on, you know, one's life, both professionally and certainly and unfortunately, I can say as you get older. um, So I don't I also don't believe in having regrets and looking back. But I'd say in the last couple of years, what I've really realized is that I may have been better served fostering a stronger skill and an attitude that allowed me to be more intentional and mindful in everything that I do, less multitasking and more living in the moment. But two years ago, I woke up and um, I would wake up. Let's just you know talk a little bit about what I did before. Um, I, before I even got out of bed, I was checking email. I was checking my social media. I was Um, already potentially, you know, making appointments to have phone calls later in the day. And then I work late and I came home. And after my kids went to bed, I work later. Um, I always, always was doing two or three things at once. My 19-year-old son and I have had this debate because he will argue with me. He's a a scientist at heart. He will say, Mom, physically and mentally impossible for you to actually do more than one thing at a time. So when you talk about multitasking or you tell me that I have to get better at multitasking, I just want you to know that's not even really possible. I know what you mean by it, but it's really not possible. Um, And sometimes, again, we can learn from the young people in our lives. just doesn't sound real productive because what it really is and what I've learned and come to peace with is that multitasking is actually what I I, uh, call a continuous partial attention. So not being intentional and living in the moment, but doing multiple things only some percentage of the way successfully. So I fight that urge today. I force myself to to get up and not touch the phone uh, first thing, um, to try to enjoy my morning with my husband, have some conversation and breakfast. And then my day starts, um, and it's much more productive. I try to unplug a couple nights a week so that I'm not constantly on, as we said earlier, Um, I make sure to build in some meditative components, yoga and exercise, listening to audibles, podcasts um, I've discovered are are helpful. I like quick hits. Um, So the the, um, books and podcasts that I read, if they're short and sweet, um, and give me value, um, give me enjoyment, and then not forgetting that you also have to make time for others in your life especially as your children, were empty nesters now. So friends were really important when I was young and maybe I lost sight a little bit of that while my children were growing up. Um, but we're back to making sure that we spend time with friends. So I feel like I'm more productive and efficient uh, when I'm working or tasking Today, it, with this new mindset, and albeit still working on it, probably will my entire life because it doesn't come natural uh, than I was before, and I still feel like I'm getting 70 hours of work done and 50 hours but I feel better about it. I'm not working 70 hours, right? Um, It's allowing me to be present in the present, live in the present, and have a a mindful attention to what I'm doing now instead of the 20 things that I probably should have gotten done and didn't Uh, because that just wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't going to carry me for the next 20 years of my career, in my opinion. My husband will tell you I have lists to make sure that I complete what's on my list I make lists that keep track of my other lists and he's probably true but I am a relentless calendar and task list user Um, and now what I do with this new approach that I've tried is I block time it says mindful time that tells me to go do something walk around our campus has a pond um, take a walk with one of the employees or, um, you know, just get out of here and go to lunch off site instead of eating at my desk, whatever it is that I think that particular day or week as I review that calendar, um, it's, I, if I put it on the calendar, I will do it. That's my personality. <laughs> so I've learned that I just have to be very intentional about making sure that I block time both for tasks
0: as well as rest. I will tell you, you are remarkable at that because I have a podcast episode earlier in this uh, show when we first started about how to get more done by doing less. And so un- unlike you, I'm not a multitasker. I got to tell you, I've been an old CPA for 31 years. I just am one of these guys. I pick it up. I work on that file or I dictate the notes. I get one of my empowered team of wonderful people, hand it to them and I'm done. So don't laugh, Amy. They call me the 80% man in our office. I never finish anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I get it. I, I move I on. I'm laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's okay. So, so let me ask you that. That's pretty, pretty cool. What you're talking, but you've been at this for a long time now. Uh, so, one of your most prevalent characteristics that I admire is your ability to lead with passion. I never see you when you're not smiling, and people tell me this all the time. Jimmy, do you ever have a bad day? And I go, No, I really don't. It's just that some days are better than others. You know, that's, that's what my grandfather always said, so I guess I picked that up. But so tell me how you lead with passion. Why is it important to you to be an influence to our team members um, at Cambridge?
1: I'm a natural optimist, but like you, right, I think we all have to admit that some days are better than others. And, and there's a lot of stress um, that can crop up in in our careers. Uh, but, again, my personal purpose statement, although it's grown and changed and matured over the years is family, faith, friends, and building meaningful relationships with those around me, and the people I work with and lead here, 900 of them, and I wish I could have touched all 900, um, uh, but in some way, shape, or form, hopefully I'm touching those that are also making a difference in their lives. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I just, I don't shy away from Again, that transparency, holding myself accountable, um, expressing my passion, being transparent, letting them know that I'm passionate about doing things here at our company and in my life at the highest levels of quality that I can. Um, My children will actually put the phrase choices and consequences on my memorial someday. I am sure they've heard it (laughs) over and over and over again. Um, And I think that many people that that work with me here know that as well. Um, But I I, I do believe or I hope that 100% of the time I express that my desire to do things at the highest quality possible comes from a good place and i want them to be successful and i'm open to chatting with them um and i i would say i have a very collaborative leadership style I'm not arrogant enough to think that I have all the answers or the best ideas. And so it's really a collective allowing uh, others to contribute to where I might be going astray has been a real value in my career. And I do think that allows people to speak up, give you a reality check. Um, uh, You know, I've, I've been known to change my mind. They can influence me. And that's a, a, I I certainly want to have a positive impact and influence them to do the things that that are um, in line with our mission and purpose and our core values, but allowing them to also influence me along the way in certain decisions that we're making um, really builds credibility and loyalty from others. Servant leadership is probably the term that's used most out there, and I, I embody that, you know, leading with. Compassion and kindness. I wish I never had to give anybody negative news. I wish I did never have to, um, you know, terminate someone in my career or tell them that they didn't get that promotion or correct some behavior. But when you're leading and running a company, you're responsible for a lot of different constituencies and you do the best you can to balance and be respectful and empathetic and lead with compassion as you can even when you have to deliver those um, negative messages. And so I'm I realized about it was about 10 years ago I was experiencing a little bit of burnout that was before I learned the lessons we just talked about and I went on my first week long vacation where I unplugged and in honesty that means I only check my email once a day. I probably never in my life actually really unplugged like many people do. But um, I I was, I really worked hard to, to not be here. And I came back and I felt great. And I had a renewed optimism. And I couldn't wait to get back to these fantastic people I work with. And I realized within about a week, that my burnout, my negative attitude, um, even though I didn't Trans, I didn't think I was transmitting it. Um, you know, they say fake it till you make it. And sometimes that's true. If you're having one of those bad days, put that, taught my children, put that smile on your face because I promise you negativity will spiral if you just fall into the trap and more bad things will happen. And I believed in all of that. But even then, my not taking care of myself was impacting this company and those that worked with me at that week when I came back and it was. I felt good and I felt high. I realized that I went into Eric's office and said, you know, I might have to do that a little bit more frequently because I can't, I just, it was the biggest aha moment slap in the head about intentional or not, my attitude, my behavior, my perspective, my optimism or the alternative totally impacted everyone around me so quickly because i was the leader right they're looking to me if i if the sky is falling in my office they lose hope um and that's one of our jobs is to lift people up and make sure that they can continue to see what's the worst case scenario whatever it is we'll tackle it and if we lose sight of that we can really affect our organizations
0: You know, you said the word, you know, we're the leader and our teams are expecting from us a certain level of mental support and so forth. I will tell you some of the best growth in our team on a personal level has been those times I did show my vulnerability and I was proud to hear at the most recent Ignite in Denver we spoke about a little earlier, one of the speakers was a retired um, Air Force pilot And she said that magic word, and my team was sitting with me, two of at least my team, and they looked at me and shook their head when she said, vulnerability makes you a better leader. Because there's a book out, I'd like to recommend, Amy, you pick this book up. It's also on uh, Audible, I believe, as well. It's called You Can't Know It All. And it talks about these areas as great leaders You don't necessarily have all the answers, but just like Henry Ford, I know who to push the button on the phone to call that has those answers. So that's what leadership's all about, in my opinion.
1: I agree. Uh, One of my favorite quotes, and I did make a note of that book, um, I will absolutely go get it because I think many leaders or up-and-coming leaders put a lot of pressure on themselves to do just that, believe that they have to know it all. And the worst thing you can do if you don't know it is to fake it. Um, but one of my favorite quotes is from Eisenhower and he said, um, you do not lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. Leadership is an art of getting someone else to do something that you want done because he wants to do it. And the only way he or she are going to want to do it with you is if they can contribute and they feel pride of authorship and ownership. And I think we can all learn a lot of lessons from those kinds of
0: things. President Eisenhower was a very wise president, and and one of the things from being a general in the military that I picked up from him as well is that planning is everything. And, you know, he didn't do any battle plans or didn't take any kind of cause to action until he had a plan. You know, we do the same thing in our career with our, our clients, right? We, we get the plan first. You don't just start driving. Now, I don't know about your husband, but I'm a male, right? So we start driving, then we figure out where we're going. Is that how that works? That is pretty much how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. So you've been so helpful today, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but I just have a couple more questions I think that our audience would love to hear. Give me a few minutes and picture paint for me in words. What's the next phase of your career look like?
1: I have been blessed with such a fantastic rock star team that's chosen to move to Fairfield, Iowa. Some of them are remote, but many... And most of them are here. Um, that it is even now, and I suspect more so into the future, it's allowing me to spend a fair amount of time giving back to this great industry, rather than only folk having to focus on you know Cambridge and our 900 person family here in Iowa, plus our 3,300 advisors across the country, and all of your families uh, and, and colleagues. And so, um, while uh, while I'm still very, very, very much engaged, um, you, the, the listeners probably heard from my bio that I've I've also started recently to spend a lot more time sitting on many industry boards and advisory councils, and um, that gives me a sense of accomplishment in that uh, I again accidentally found this amazing career and industry. And I do want to give back. And I do spend time advocating and teaching and talking to regulators and politicians about what who you are, you, the independent financial advisor, and what independence means and the gift that independence gives and controlling our own journey. And the difference between uh, our independent uh business model as opposed to some other business models out there so that they realize that different, all things don't work for all segments of the industry. And that's been really uh, rewarding to feel like I am making a difference. And through that, um, as I said earlier, inspiring younger individuals to come into our business uh, more and more time that I can figure out how to do that. I recently accepted a board of trustees position on our local community college, Um, I'm up for re-election in November. I can promise you that will be my only foray into politics, but um, uh, it does require an actual um, engagement in the election process to have a seat on those types of things like school boards. But um, it's given me opportunities here locally to speak to youth groups and speak to them not just about our industry, but about life lessons and, and my journey and things like that. If it can only help one child figure out, you know, something in life or, or inspire them to have a career. And that's really what gets me charged up and, um, and bringing more women into the, into the business. Um, as I said earlier, so uh, I spend, um, a, still the significant amount of my time working for you and our other advisors I'm working for your clients to make sure that Cambridge is is as healthy and living its values as I can but I think as my career continues over the next 10 if the needle swings to me being able to do more and more in that light, um, the, I think the more at peace and rewarded I will feel. So I look forward
0: to that. So what I understood from that statement, and I want to make sure I make this clear for our audience, is that you're running on what party ticket in 2020 of November for what office, did you say?
1: Um, um, it's it's <laughs> a, not a party line um, because it is a school uh,
0: board oh. position. I'm sorry. I it's thought maybe the, he might have been a presidential candidate. I was hoping maybe no, someone no, out of no. left field would come I, out and lead the country. Think that's, <laughs> I think that's one career that I will leave for others
1: based on what I've seen. <laughs> um, I might be able to make a much better difference putting my energy elsewhere.
0: <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, and if the Federal Election Commission is listening, we are just having fun, by the way. This isn't an endorsement yeah. announcement or anything of that nature. <laughs> I try to have a little fun yeah. in my day. So. So you have done remarkable today. So I want you to do me a big favor and all of our thousands of listeners and give our listeners just one statement of advice about influence, leadership, or legacy. If you could leave them with something to know, Amy Weber and how she leads with passion, anything you can do about legacy, what would that one statement of advice be?
1: So, your reputation, in my opinion, is your greatest asset. Your reputation is effectively your brand, your personal brand. And I would want our listeners today to make a commitment to themselves to never compromise that. Um, I articulate that for myself in a little bit different fashion. What goes through my mind often, almost every day, is... I'm coming in to do the right thing, even if no one is watching, but that can take a lot of different frames. That's just a phrase that allows me to remind myself of um, the integrity. And uh, I think if, if a leader does that, those around you will watch you and you'll inspire and create an environment of respect, quality and integrity. And all of that will naturally lead to fulfillment and then success. I just I, I can't express enough, and this is a, a, often what I really have to enforce with young people. I think I would not want to be growing up in today's world. Social media has made things um, you know even more complicated and and they've got to hopefully at a young age, really realize that, again, that reputation is the greatest asset. It just feels to me in today's world that society maybe has forgotten the value of tolerance. Leaders create the future. By taking advantage of opportunities, they don't and shouldn't allow the future to just happen and shape their approach to their career um, and their business and their life. I mean, we have a world today where there are four generations in the workplace, in some ways, even five, because we now have to some extent, an unnamed generation um, that's starting to come in, at least for internships and things like that. And we have an amazing impact of globalization, and we have a benefit of a multicultural world. I could go on and on and on about the opportunities that diversity provides. And if we don't find tolerance, that's not going to allow us to take advantage of those opportunities, of that diversity. So lead by example, embrace diversity with a respectful tolerance, Um, That does not mean one has to sacrifice their opinions or their core values, but just respect that not everyone has the same opinion um, and values. And I think if if, if we remember those things, that our reputation is our greatest asset, it's our brand, don't compromise that and foster a world of tolerance, um... When I'm in retirement, I can only look out into you know a world of opportunity for a much better place than where we are today.
0: I'll tell you, that is wonderful advice. I hope all of our listeners take that and heed the issue of supporting others, even if we have differences of opinions. Our, our country is going through a difficult time now because of this issue of difference of opinion. I, like you, encourage diversification, not just in the portfolio, but also in our in our families, in our environment, in our communities. And that is great advice. I do want to leave today with this. I want you to sincerely know, uh, Amy, that your time is valuable. You have been an excellent guest. Thank you for being so open with us. That's what we do on Live a Life by Design. We show people that there is a brighter day ahead I do use the phrase once in a while that are you going to be slogging or are you going to be sledding? Now, you're in Iowa. You get snow from time to time, right?
1: All the time. And I'm sledding, Jimmy. Okay. I'm
0: sledding. I tell people the big difference between slogging and sledding is all about attitude. And if we have the right attitude, we can sled all day long. I do want to thank Amy for joining us today, but I also want to personally reach out To some people I consider to be on my team as well as her, I'd like to thank Cindy Shouse of Cambridge Investment Research for helping us put all this coordination together, as well as the hard work, diligent work of Jody Hollinsworth of our executive administrative team at Cambridge for making all this possible. Thank you, Amy, for your time today. Trust you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.
1: Thank you, too. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to to speak to you listeners. It's been fantastic.
0: And thank you to our special guest this week, Amy Weber. I hope that you gained some insight on how this powerful woman is leading a $1 billion a year business. She has energy. She's got creativity, but she wraps it all in passion and kindness. This is the key, in my opinion, to being successful, not just in business, but more importantly, to be successful in life. Our challenge to you this week, go to our Facebook page at Live a Life by Design. Give some comments as to what you found helpful after listening to this particular episode and how you use passion and kindness in your career. How you feel it has helped you bring out a bigger, better, and bolder you to your team. You can get a complete transcript of today's show online at livealifeby.design. If you like the show, please tell your family and friends about it. Also, we would be very appreciative if you would leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Life Master Key production. The program is copyrighted by Jimmy J. Williams & Company, all rights reserved. Our recording engineer is Happy Design Company. Our production assistant is Amy Cotton. Our intern is Brimley.